I'm Dave Baker. This is episode 34 of It's Pronounced Zine. On this episode, I'm going to be talking to my dear friend, Malachi Ward, co-creator of Ancestor. Let's do it. Here comes Dave Baker with the show. Talking about paper publications you should know. Authors and photographers that are fresh on the scene. Don't be getting twisted. Twisted. It's pronounced Zine. I just listened to the episode with Rachel Dukes. Oh, yeah. I had never heard that story yeah. about the publishing thing before. Fucking crazy, right? Insane. Yeah. I love, too, that she has, like, a bionic memory for it and can, like, deliver it line yeah. by line. <laughs> like, there was a point yeah. where I was like... Oh my god, like I this is I feel like I'm living this with you because <laughs> right. you're so like detail oriented. And right. I wouldn't remember that. Me neither. I, I would be like, yeah, and then they were shitty to me for like eight months. Yeah. So <laughs> Matt and I are finally collecting expansion. Okay. Um and we wanted to do like a little intro comic kind of about when we were making it. And uh it was a good thing that I was keeping up like a blog spot blog at the time which like dates everything Mm -hmm. because otherwise when we were talking about like oh yeah i think we did this and then that and we were doing this at the same time all of that was wrong yeah (laughs) when i actually like looked at i always feel like that whenever i look at like the indicia for our books whenever you know somebody we apply to a show or pro badges or whatever and somebody's like yeah when list the last three things that you did this year i'm always surprised at a the amount of stuff we've done in a year (laughs) and b how how, there's the dates of things where things in my head are kind of like, oh yeah, we've been making comics for like six months, and somehow we've made all these books or something. Right. I don't know. And then you look at the actual indicias, and you're like, oh wow, I've been doing this for like three years with Nicole or it's two and weird a half? for me because it like um, it switched from I'm just starting out, mm-hmm. even like reading like seriously reading comics and trying to make comics to like oh yeah, I guess I'm like. I've been doing this for a while, yeah, and realizing that like that I that there was like a generation of people underneath me, which is just like a weird feeling, right? Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. I was so used to just thinking of myself as like the young whippersnapper, the new, yeah, yeah, the yeah. new person. Um, so I guess let's say who you are, and then continue with this conversation because I have no good way of breaching this because <laughs> right, right. I should have introduced you immediately as soon as we walked in. I should just right. refer to you as Malachi Ward, creator of, or co-creator of Ancestor, immediately when walking through the door <laughs> talking to you. Right, sure, through just downstairs. Yes, mic yeah. us up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, who are you, my friend? I am Malachi Ward, co-creator of Ancestor with Matt Sheehan, uh, and I would be Dave Baker. Uh, I make a bunch of comics. I don't know. <laughs> right. When you were talking about, oh, I made this many things uh, yeah. during the year, and that's more than I thought. To me, it's like almost the exact opposite, where I'm like, what? how did I spend this but that's entire also, year? What was I doing? But, but that's also because <laughs> I've seen you draw. <laughs> you draw like one line. We 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 even talked we were about talking this. About, yeah, yeah. You draw like one line, and then you sit back, and then you exhale and look at it, and then lean back over and draw one more. That's true. It's probably healthier than the way I work. <laughs> I do. Uh, yeah. While I do envy your output, uh, when you talk about working till four in the morning and stuff like that, there's no part of me that's like, I wish I could do that. I don't even wish yeah. that I could do that. I'm but glad you, that I can't do that. <laughs> but but also, you I think you have a more regimented 
a healthy lifestyle where you have a break between work and, <laughs> you know, you're spending time watching Star Trek with your wife or, <laughs> you know, insert healthy decompression here. Right. In the last couple of years, I've tried to be a lot more intentional about, like, I don't work on Sundays anymore. Mm-hmm. And having the studio has kind of made it easier to, like, separate out. So even though most nights I'm still working at home when I come home from the studio, it's made it so that I just put, like, no pressure on myself when I'm at home, like, kind of with something on TV and I have this, like, weird little workstation at the apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, trying to <laughs> have a more balanced life has become a priority in the last couple of years because for a long time it was a lot of working long but maybe not smart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just like putting in lots of hours but kind of, I don't know, not not taking advantage of the time that I was putting in really. Right drawing one line every 10 minutes right <laughs> yeah imagine me drawing even slower yeah you know just a lot of the like normal yeah you sit on facebook reading for some, a while yeah, yeah. yeah you're All like that. i'm working but i'm sitting at the table reading weird you know right. blackjack right. compilations or something and then it doesn't help when you're working with someone uh that you could talk to endlessly about mm-hmm. anything mm-hmm. uh which is kind of the relationship i have with matt like we look forward to when when he used to live in Southern California and we would do a show in San Francisco because then we're like, all right, nice. We'll have like six solid hours of conversation. <laughs> we don't have to worry <laughs> right. about anything else, right. which is insane. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, we even, we ran out of gas one time because we were not Paying attention? On, yeah, yeah. Oh, I this love is it. the only time I've ever run out of gas before. I didn't even know it was happening. <laughs> I was like, something's wrong with the car. <laughs> I ran out of the gas. I ran out of gas in my car only once as well. And it was this year. And it was because I was not paying attention, obviously. <laughs> and it was on 6th Avenue in LA over in Koreatown. And I like Ugh. pulled over to the side of the road and then kind of like there was like the car was kind of like <laughs> and i was like right next to that ihop where there's that big parking lot on like uh what is that like near vermont and and 6th and i like started to turn into the uh the parking lot for the uh ihop and this guy comes running out and starts yelling at me in spanish trying to guide me into a an empty parking spot, but I I couldn't understand what he was saying because he it wasn't like an empty parking spot. It was like these are the parking spots, and then there was a blank space here where the door enters, like where you like walk down and then you can turn into the i or walk into the IHOP. And I was like, I can't park in front of this fucking door. Or they're gonna tow me. And he kept going like, Come on, come on, come on. And I'm like, I I what? No, are you fucking high? So I like kind of like just parked on the curb like straight up on the sidewalk and i like ran into the <laughs> the ihop and was like look i fucked up there's no gas in my car i just ran out of gas will you just not tell me for like five minutes i'm gonna run across the street and get some gas from this gas station and the guy in there was like swamped because there was 900 people trying to eat <laughs> at course, ihop yeah. at you know whatever 1 p.m on a friday and he was like yeah that's fine whatever dude i don't fucking care <laughs> you know rodriguez party of 17 rodriguez <laughs> party of 17 so i booked it across the street and got gas yeah for just driving up the five yep uh it could have been a lot worse we fortunately 
almost made it onto the, like an off ramp, and then like around the corner was a mm. gas station. So you lucked out. It, yeah, it wasn't too bad. You lucked out. We're both very fortunate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so just in case people aren't aware, uh, you uh, co-wrote and co-drew a book that was put out through Island and then later published by Image Central. I mean, I guess Image published Island too, but you know what I mean. Uh, called Ancestor. Um, and uh, maybe do you want to just give a little pitch about what that is? Before we completely dive off the deep end into whatever <laughs> right, asinine topics to, we're going to talk about. Talking about the five. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Ancestor is a standalone science fiction story uh, that... You mean it's not connected to a broader universe? Are, are the Watchmen in it? <laughs> is there a Batman? I only say it now because so many people are like, so when's the next chapter of Ancestor coming out? I'm like... That was the end. Sorry. Yeah. Really? That's so strange that people... Yeah. It felt definitive to me. Me but... too. The end of that book is like, that's the end of... I'm trying not to spoil <laughs> not anything. To... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... Yeah. It ends about as late into uh, the game as anything can end. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah uh, I haven't done a podcast in a little while or a show, so I'm a little bit out of practice on the mm. Ancestor pitch. But it's um, set in the near future where everyone is kind of biologically linked into uh, the service, which is sort of similar to the internet. And this causes a lot of anxiety for the main character. And he kind of falls in with a basically a cult that is... Uh, trying to push the technology into, like, the next crazier step. Uh, And, you know, it doesn't go well. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it doesn't. (laughs) Um, So I have a couple questions about it. Um, Primarily, though, because I don't think you and I have ever actually talked about this. Also, Uh, just to to state for the record, we are friends. uh, (laughs) So this is not some crazy, hard-hitting journalistic, like, me trying to trap you. Uh, uh, so if you're uncomfortable with any of these questions, feel free to be like, uh, uh, no, I'm not answering that. And then we'll talk about it next time we hang out. Uh, but are you from a particularly religious or conservative background? Uh, my, yes, my family was pretty Christian and pretty conservative and I was definitely Christian through, yeah. I went to a Christian college, actually. That's where I met Matt. Um, Did you meet Keiko there, too? Yes, met yes. Keiko there, too. Yeah. Um, Your, his wife, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're just talking about <laughs> random people. Yeah. Um, and I liked my time there a lot. Um, but, uh, you know, there was like a three chapel per week Ooh. requirement. And uh, nothing burns the interest for church out of you like <laughs> having to go to church three times a week mm-hmm. um you know of course <laughs> a whole bunch of other factors but sure yeah um so yeah my uh my belief system is doesn't quite conform to <laughs> anything in particular anymore it's interesting um, though because when i was when i first read it you know you and i had been f- like friends online you know for a while i don't really even know how that started I think I might have just, like, friend-requested you on Facebook because I was like, you make comics, we live in L.A., fuck it, whatever. <laughs> right. Um, but the the thing that was so striking about Ancestor when I first started reading it was that 
And again, I didn't know you personally really at that point, but it felt like somebody writing about their experiences in a church without writing about a church, if that makes sense. Like it's a, it's a bigger story. It's about our nature, uh, like the human condition. It's about our relationship with technology. It's about being a creator and a createe. Um, I mean that in the kind of like biblical sense, not in the like necessarily making comics sense. Um, but it, it all seemed to be like my, my dad was super religious. I got raised in a really bizarre situation where my dad started a church in our living room. That was, that's right. We did. Talk we did. That. We, right. uh, right. we, yes. Yeah, yeah. We talked about this, uh, briefly once. Yeah. Um, but the whole book kind of has this, it's a very nascent texture that I don't really even know how to describe except for. Um, the communal aspect of church, I think, is analogous to the party sequence in the book and to the relationship that all of the characters have to the main antagonist? I, I don't know. Again, <laughs> right. trying not to... Yeah, no. I, Whiteside, I would definitely describe as, a, as an antagonist. Um, you know, I hadn't really thought of it through that particular lens, uh, but almost certainly... It mm-hmm. informed it. And I think I think a lot of people, I think a lot of Christians are have a particular interest in more like cult groups and uh or even more kind of strictly because I, I like even though my family was pretty politically conservative, that we went to like a non denominational church, so it wasn't um it wasn't in terms of theology like a a hardcore kind of place mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. uh but i think a lot of christians have a fascination with the like five steps down the road mm-hmm. to that mm-hmm. where it's a lot scarier and you know just this twist twisted version of kind of the things that they're experiencing even the good things that they're experiencing. Uh, so I think, you know, like a lot of evangelical Christians, I think are sort of fascinated by Mormonism. Um, and because it's sort of this like more intense, <laughs> yeah, it's, like it's, calcified version yeah, of yeah. their own thing, you know? It's where it's kind of like everybody's constantly looking at everybody else going like, man, those guys are fucking crazy. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. we're not that bad. We're <laughs> right. not that bad, okay? Yeah. Like, yeah, sure, I fucked my daughter, but no, we are not that bad, <laughs> all right? Um, so definitely in that way, uh, all of my like fascinations with cult leaders and, you know, things like Scientology and stuff like that, uh, probably stemmed from growing up in a church. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, like I said, not something that either of us were directly thinking of, although one of the people that we were basing Whiteside off of was, um, oh man, I can't remember his name. He's, he's kind of like a quote unquote cool pastor from Seattle. I think that's like horribly, horribly like, uh, uh, misogynist and like, but he like, like the, what Whiteside wears is like something that that guy wears. Mm. Um, so there was some, like, there's a little bit of like, someone doing a TED talk in the way that Whiteside speaks and mm-hmm. there's a little bit of like uh you know 
megachurch preacher in the way that he speaks. Um, so in that way, definitely our church experience informed right. some of the story. Uh, dovetailing off what you said with the cool thing, there was a there's a in Tucson where I'm from in Arizona. There's literally a church called the Cool Church, <laughs> and the guy who ran it um, was the walking embodiment of Ed Hardy. Like, he would wear, like, ripped jeans and, like, neon blue shirts with, like, fucking tribal designs on them and bleached blonde hair and uh, would stand up there and say the most vile and hate-filled bullshit. Like, you know, faggots deserve to die in hell. Like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? (laughs) Like, constant, (laughs) constant. But the, all the t- – and they had, like, ads on TV, too, where, like, the TV ads would be like, Jesus is love. Just come on <laughs> into the loving arms of Christ. And then you would go there, and it was just awful. And, like, they there was even, like, an expose on local Tucson TV where, like, they went and filmed one of them. Or at least this is my recollection. They filmed one of them, and it was, like <laughs> – Guy Ashley, who was kind of like a weird local celebrity news anchor. I love the name. Yeah. He, and I, I've seen him. I saw when I lived there. I, I saw him around town a couple times. Way shorter than I thought he was going to be. <laughs> it was like my height. And I was like, what? <laughs> Dope. That's hilarious. You, you could be the next Guy Ashley. Dude, I'm going to be the Guy Ashley of Los Angeles or something. I don't fucking know. Um, but yeah, they, he went there and like they did this crazy expose about how that guy was just this crazy bigot. And I, my recollection is that the church got shut down because, okay. like, everything just exploded in this dude's face. I feel like there was something that came out where he, like, was doing something crazy, like running a drug ring or running a, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there was something along those lines where that hatred was coming from an obvious place of self-loathing. And, like, right. like it always is. Right. Like, anytime you see a Republican on TV being like homosexuality should be illegal. It's like that dude loves dick. Like he just, he just loves it. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, it's, it's always strange, right, when someone's, um, when someone's psychological motivations are like that kind of upfront and they're so unaware of mm-hmm. how clearly everyone can see what is motivating them. Mm-hmm. That was even, that was part of uh, something that we wanted to do with Whiteside also, uh, the segment in the story where he's kind of, there's this, uh, he's using a program that's kind of listing affirmations to him. Uh, that's like pretty directly based on, uh, this like list that L. Ron Hubbard kept, um, yeah, I think he would like read to himself or maybe he had a tape of it or something and, like and that. And wasn't it crazy? Like, when you have sex with women, they won't get pregnant, and yeah. the spiders under your bed won't eat you, yeah. and, like, they're, like, really specifically, like, your penis is large. <laughs> right, Like, right. very specifically, like, not, you know, cloaked in any sort of metaphor. Yeah, they were, they were really direct, um, and, yeah, just, you could get such a concise picture of what was motivating him and what he was afraid of, um, that it was, you know, pretty amazing to mm-hmm. see. Uh, so we knew that we wanted to do something like that for this character 
Um, Because that very narcissistic and very intelligent but also very unaware of themselves uh, type of person is like really, really fun to write. And it's also (laughs) hilarious because it's someone who's dabbling with artificial intelligence and self-awareness. Right, (laughs) right, right. Yeah. Um, Or computerized self-awareness. Um, because irony, it is the human condition. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, so Island was published by, uh, you know, old, old dirty B Grams, Brandon Graham. <laughs> right. Um, did you guys have a formal pitching process for that? Cause the magazine was put out by image. Uh, I feel like everybody that's a cool comic book creator read it and no one else, <laughs> uh, unfortunately. Right. Um, yeah, uh, pretty much because I, I had done some stuff with Image before and it was for Profit, which was the book that Brandon was working on before before Island, that he was writing uh, mostly with Simon Roy. And um, I had only ever dealt with Brandon, who is about as relaxed mm-hmm. a person as there can be. Mm-hmm. Um, so... There was not really a pitching process. I don't. I mean, like I've never mm. talked to any of the higher ups at Image or oh, anything okay. like that. Word. Um, so it was. It was really just like we had. In fact, we had pitched Ancestor to Image with like a little introduction from Brandon via email. Uh, we had pitched it to Eric and just never heard back from him. And then so when Brandon was like, "We're doing Island," we we're like. Can we do... Yeah, can we do Ancestor through this way? Yeah. Um, which worked out because then we got like an actual page rate, which we wouldn't have gotten if it was just yeah, like a miniseries right. or something. Yeah, which is, in case someone is unaware, the image deal does not give you a page rate in order to... Like an advance in order to pay yourself to make the book. You get paid on the back end, so it's really hard for people to support themselves on their work. Right, right. If we were, especially Matt and I, so it would have just been, you know basically a debut book as far as mainstream comics was concerned um it would have been really tough to yeah to make mm-hmm. any money on at the same time when you're producing something that's coming out in an anthology and especially in an anthology that doesn't come out very regularly and increasingly is not selling very well uh then it makes it tough when the trade came out for – when the collection of Ancestor came out, um, it was kind of like it was coming out for the first time in a lot of ways mm. uh, because any press – and Island got good press. Um, but the most we could kind of hope for was like a mention. Yeah. Oh, and you then know. there was that, uh, that young Malachi Ward whippersnapper <laughs> with his weird uh, comic in the back of the islands and right, stuff. Right, right. Um, but – the page rate, though, is <laughs> so nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, and made it so much easier to, like, produce it. That was the first time that we had really had, like, a regular, like... Because all the work that we had done for profit was, like, a couple pages here, maybe, like, ten pages over here. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't like we were getting, like, big checks or anything <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah, the, those we big weren't... comic book checks. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah, yo, the, the elusive... <laughs> Big and I mean, you know, I come from like a pretty working class background. So to me, like big check for me, one of the only reasons I can even work in comics is my concept of just like what 
how much money is like an acceptable amount of money is so much lower than most everybody else's. Yeah, yeah. And not even intentionally, just like, you know, just Mm. from lack of experience, basically. Um, But it was nice to be like, you know, when we heard that we were getting the page rate, of course we were like, how long can each, like how how many pages can we do? Mm -hmm. Um, And it was pretty nice. we, We did most chapters, I think, are 28 pages Mm. um which was the really cool one of the really cool things about island is that there were bigger chunks of stories whereas like most anthologies you know maybe you have like a 10 page or 15 page story but that's kind of where it maxes out most of the time Mm -hmm. so to be able to have the space to tell like a whole issue's worth or even kind of a bigger than normal issue's worth of story made it so much easier to to write. And well, that's to, why I was, like, when it got announced, that's why I was so hopeful that it would, like, almost change the industry because it's, I mean, it's it's very transparent what it is. Like, it's Brandon being like, I wish we had Shonen Jump or, like, a manga <laughs> magazine here in the States that would treat people well and would allow creators to make books over an extended period of time and own their rights, which sounds amazing to me. That's exactly what I want. And no one else does. <laughs> I bought every issue of that fucking thing, and I loved all of them. And you know, I think, I think it, they had every reason to think that it could do well, even though anthologies are such a tough sell. Um, because, to me, anytime an anthology does well, it's because there's a personality behind it that people kind of understand and mm-hmm. are engaged with, and. That's Brandon. Like yeah, absolutely. People follow his work and what he's into in a way that not many people other do. Not many other people do. Um, so I was it, definitely it, yeah, hopeful. No, no, literally, exactly. When when I was in Vancouver, um, there was a guy who stopped by my table, picked up Action Hospital. I gave him the pitch, and then he was like, "Oh, this kind of yeah, I think I'm gonna get this." And I was like, "Oh, cool. What else? You know, what other comics do you read or whatever?" And he's like, "I don't really." <laughs> and I was like, oh, then why are you here? He's like, oh, I'm here because I follow Brandon Graham. And I right. I read whatever Brandon Graham posts on his fucking Royal Boiler WordPress site or wherever he posts shit now. Yeah, that's – and I mean with good reason too because like Brandon's work – obviously you can see different influences that he has. But he has a very strange accumulation of influences and there's really – Nobody else that's even yeah, I don't know anywhere any... in the ballpark of the kind of work that he makes. And it's yeah. so good. Um, yeah, I don't know anybody who likes graffiti, <laughs> uh, Mobius, and, like, transsexual animal porn. <laughs> right, like, right. And I'm not going to lie. He's posted stuff, and I've been like, all right, let's do this deep dive on fucking weird uh, transsexual animal porn. All right. And I've spent, like, 40 minutes going, right. man... This is so well rendered. Man, look at that butthole. That butthole full of cum is so well drawn. Like, <laughs> there's so much. I I mean, I would not have discovered that if it weren't for him because that's not necessarily where my tastes lie. But good right. for him for being open enough to be like, yo, this is what I like. Yeah, I know. Yeah, of course. And I, and I think one of the things that made Island difficult was because he has such broad tastes. And I don't mean broad and that he just kind of likes everything. But because no, he, he has, has such a very, eclectic taste, yes. um, uh, it could be tough, I think, sometimes for people to, like, they're on board for 
Like most people I think are probably only on board for maybe like 10% of what Brandon is into, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, But it's so great that he could, that he had 15 issues to follow that, Mm -hmm. Um, which is honestly longer than I thought that it was going to be. Originally we were scheduled to be in the eighth issue is when Ancestor was going to start. And from the very beginning I was like, get us in an earlier (laughs) issue because I was not. Yeah. Didn't really think that it would. I mean, I like did the math when the first issue came out in terms of like how many pages they were, there were and what the page rate was. And it just didn't like they had to have been losing money. Oh, absolutely. Um, the question, pretty, you know, pretty early on. So I was like, the question I have, though, is would it have been more successful if it had like twice the amount of pages? Like, let's say because what it was like 80 pages per book. Something like that, 100 pages? I think, yeah, I think it's settled into about, yeah, 80 pages. Let's say, let's even say three times. Let's say if it's a 300-page giant-ass phone book, which is much, that's a much larger risk for Image to take, obviously, and more upfront cost, cost to pay creators. But if it was that big, do you think that that would have either capsized the boat immediately or enabled it to continue to be a thing? I think mm, – I don't think it would have done as well. I think with anthologies, it's all about making it as easy as possible for people to buy it. So unless they could get the price point down to like $10 or something like that, um, I think it would have been tough. Because even – I think it was it was like $8 and originally, I think it was like 120 pages, the mm-hmm. first three issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they ditched that perfect spine. And I I, yeah. I know from like anecdotal evidence that people d- jumped off because they didn't have the spine anymore. Oh, yeah, that, does, that totally doesn't surprise me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it was just so, so expensive to make um, and keep it, you know... People that buy comics regularly, they they are so stingy about the price. They don't want to pay very much at all. Yeah. Um, well, that's also because comics cost too much money right now, period, across the board. Right. They do. Right. You shouldn't be paying, you know, 5 to $6 or whatever for no. a 20-page Marvel Fuck comic. that noise. Um, or even these, like, you know, these big anniversary things where it's like nine ninety nine for, you know... 100 pages of content or whatever that's not perfect bound it's a floppy and it's really only like 30 pages of new stories and then a bunch of shitty you know right. reprints that you don't care about anyway right right exactly so and, and island was a good deal you know eight dollars for basically a, a trade's worth of comics yeah especially if you're going by like you know most marvel trades now are oof, like oof Four issues, maybe. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, and are, you know, at least, $18 or something like that. At least they've stopped doing that hardcover first on every book thing. Like, remember, oh, like, yeah, seven right. years ago, whatever, yeah. where every comic would come out with a $30 hardcover? Like, right. no, dude, I don't need Brian Reed's Miss Marvel, you know, volume six <laughs> as a hardcover. Right. Like, I'm sorry, I don't. I was just looking at, I saw that um, they're charging $30 for Old Man Logan, which is like a thicker than normal trade but still it's a paper 
paperback comic that's and like we, maybe and also, maybe two hundred pages. And that's also <laughs> the complete wrong way to do that. Like that that's, that costs that much because of the movie, right? So wouldn't you want those people to get into comics? Wouldn't you want that to be like a ten dollar book or less than ten dollar book? Right. It seems like as much as they say that they're trying to get in new no, readers, no. <laughs> their behavior doesn't really no. indicate that at all. No. But anyway. God damn it. God damn it. Um, Island was really fun to work on also because of all the other contributors that were doing work. Yeah, it's a fucking murderer's um, row. Get it? Like Simon's story, Simon Roy's story in there, uh, Habitat. Mm-hmm. Um, so good. Feral, Dalrymple's. Pop Gun War, <laughs> yeah. Chain Letter. Oh, my um, God. So good. And, you know, that, like just it being a home for Pop Gun War is like enough of a legacy mm-hmm. to me. Because mm-hmm. um, he's been like, working on that book for what, like 12 years, 15 years, some, shit, some crazy oh, shit yeah, like I that? Think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, it's just given me a chance to, like, hang out with those guys more at shows and stuff, which is also, <laughs> like, that's kind of a good enough benefit for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it's, it was a pretty great experience all around. Um, but. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, what, can you talk about maybe the, the transition between what you were alluding to, alluding to earlier where you were somebody self-publishing making their own bullshit and then now whatever whatever's happening now like what's that transition been like yeah i so i started um let's see i start i self-published my first zine in 2009 and i had kind of been messing around with comics for like two years so it i still like i was saying earlier i it felt like like i was maybe even didn't belong in the comics world because I hadn't even really like so many people that are making comics have really been dedicated to comics like their whole life basically. Yeah. So when I first started, I felt I was a little nervous because I felt like I was fake or something like that. I mean, because I now only... you are a fake geek girl. Now. <laughs> right. I was a fake geek girl. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I went to, I can't remember what show I went to, uh, and re- just it clicked that it was like, oh, these are just normal people selling, you know, comics that they've made at these shows, and I can do that too. Yeah. Um, and I finally finished a comic uh, called Utu and took it to Ape. Um, and also, I think I also finished a comic called Scout, the Scout, um, and felt, and I still feel pretty good about those comics. Um, and, you know, had, who knows what my sales were like or anything like that, but like some cartoonists that I was familiar with came by the table and got the stuff. And so that was like enough of a charge where it was like, I'm doing this forever, basically. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, and, uh, so yeah, I was just doing shows and self-publishing stuff, um, Sending in things to anthologies. Uh, Scout originally was made for an anthology called Hive from Jordan Shively, who does, um, I think now, is it Conundrum? No. I'm blanking. I'm a jerk. (laughs) (laughs) That's going to be the headline for this this episode. Malachi Ward, (laughs) certified jerk. (laughs) 
he's great and he's still doing like still publishing comics and you know more and more and more um and uh uh i think i did something for desert island that smoke signal mm-hmm. their like newspaper thing that was one of the first things that i is that got the one that's in, in seattle they're uh new york new york yeah and then uh, yeah, it's basically like a everybody gets one giant page in a fold out newspaper, and they can make whatever they want. Yeah, and they all and everybody contributes to printing costs, and then it gets distributed throughout the city. Yes. Uh, he didn't make me pay anything. Oh, good. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know the business model for that one. I, that's, I I'm fairly sure that that's the business model for the Seattle one. I think. Oh, okay. okay. Where everybody kicks in thirty dollars or whatever. Oh yeah. No, I think I can't remember. I don't. I can't remember if he paid or not, but, um, but I, de- yeah, it was definitely just like you sent something in and, uh, if he's, and then you yes, get a massive then, check right. for your royalties <laughs> yeah, you right. get, like, for the comic that he yeah, yeah. gives away to people. For yeah, free. yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. You get like a, a check that's, that's like a giant, uh, kissy face emoji. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's what you get. You get all the love in the world back. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even imagine doing something for, uh, free newspaper that you give away and being like, where's my check, Gabe? <laughs> where's my money? Um, and then I, th- I just, I think I like barely under the wire got into Mome, the Fanographics anthology. Mm. Um, so I was in the last issue. I had two stories in the last issue. Um, and then I th- we met, Matt and I met Brandon um, at Stumptown, and we were self-publishing expansion, and he picked that up and uh, later asked if we wanted to contribute backup stories to profit. And you were like, nah, I'm good, though. <laughs> right. No, thanks. It did for a while because we didn't really know, you know, Brandon's email style. We were like, I don't think he understands that we're excited about this because he keeps asking if we're like, if we want to do this or not. And we were just like, yeah, of course we want to do this. <laughs> of course, Brandon. <laughs> um, and where does, uh, where does, uh, oh, God, I just forgot the fucking name. I picked it up in Chicago. It's the first thing you had that went out through Diamond. Oh, pink, uh, pinkish uh, Ritual. Red. Ritual, yeah. Where does, where, does, where does that fit in? That, um, that actually was another guy um, that I met, that I went to school with. Uh, although I didn't really know him in school. He was a few years ahead of me. Uh, Dave Nuss, and he was, yeah, he just does like a, you know, kind of micro-publishing thing called Revival House Press. And it was just one of those things where, like, it was crazy that he and I both were, like, in the same kind of comics world at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we had, we knew this guy, Rusty Jordan, who also has done comics uh through Revival House. Um, so, yeah, it was just kind of like, of course we're going to try and do a comic together. Yeah, I uh, love that thing, man. Oh, I thank it you. Was super, super rad. And you read you read the Vile Decay, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, like, each issue of Ritual is a standalone story, kind of mm-hmm. like a Twilight Zone-style weird, creepy story. Um, and, yeah, we did three of them. There's still there's one that I just haven't had time to do that'll probably be the last issue. Um that's like totally written and thumbnailed and everything. <laughs> so it's like 
oh, frustrating yeah. to yeah, like. Yeah, but come on though. <laughs> Written and thumbnailed, that's easy. Actually drawing something, that can take fucking forever. You're like, it's almost done. It's almost done. It's all thumbnailed. What? No. <laughs> it's not anywhere near being done. Not to shit all over your, your like justifications, but oh, nah, dude. Thumbnailing for me is just like, if I have a whole story thumbnailed, yeah. that feels incredible. Like, it's all downhill from there for me. Um, That's funny. I kind of, I don't really do that many, like, thumbnail uh, planning stages, mostly because mo- it's it's more improvisational, I guess. Where, like, I know that when I'm drawing for myself, when I'm writing for somebody, obviously I do thumbnails, and then I write the script, and then I give it to the person, and it's right. fairly standard-ish. <laughs> um, unless I'm working with Nicole, and then it's kind of just, like, a weird conversation where I'm like, yeah! just like make it good because you're amazing and then i'll just like i don't know try and tie up any loose ends um but when i draw for myself i i don't really even do thumbnails i work directly on the boards and i'm like all right this is where we're this is where we're going yeah that would stress me out i i don't usually i can't thumbnail any more than like 30 pages ahead Hmm. and even that is like testing my patience if i if i'm not actually like doing the satisfying part of like inking a page, yeah. um, exhaling deeply. That's that's why that's why you exhale so deep because it's so satisfying to draw for right, you. Right. You're like line and oh. <laughs> yeah. You know when I really have to like sit down and write something, it's, it's I love it when something locks in. Mm-hmm. Um, and overall, I really like the writing process, but it is also weirdly, like, excruciating or just so, like, really, really exhausting. Mm-hmm. Um, and starts to, like, I start to get into, like, a really weird headspace if I've, like, been trying to write for, like, three days in a row or something like that, you then it makes me a little you, crazy. You start, yeah. like, snapping at Keiko. <laughs> Not even that. It's, like, more existential where I'm just, like, she's like, hey, am do, I? <laughs> she's like, hey, do you, want, uh, do you want some lunch? And you're like, what is lunch? <laughs> yeah. That's do I do I want lunch? Do I do I want lunch? (laughs) Really, what it ends up being is just like, so you're going on another walk again, huh? I'm just walking around trying to like process stuff, right? Right. Um, So yeah, I usually have to have that like satisfaction of finishing a page. When you when you start thumbnailing, do you think? Maybe it changes from project to project, but do you think specifically about the narrative language that you're using in that specific book of like, oh, this page is going to have nine panels because this whole story is going to be playing with a nine panel grid. And so each time you're looking for new ways to break that grid or something. Yeah, definitely. That's like all I think about when I'm thumbnailing. Um, That to me is like one of the most fun parts of comics is how you can alter and guide the way that someone's experiencing a story without them even necessarily realizing it. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of it is, yeah, just like reworking thumbnails to try and find a way to tell the story better. Uh, Yeah, that's... Speaking of the good parts of thumbnailing, like... Mm -hmm. When you, like, figure out a little trick or something like that that you know is going to work really well, uh, that's, like, the best part of making comics for me. Um, So, 
Yeah, and I mean that like that was something that we definitely did a lot with Ancestor too. Just trying to think about how uh like usually I I tend to avoid kind of more showy layouts even though I like seeing them a lot of the time. You know, like anybody it's always cool to like see something where like oh they did this really clever thing or whatever. But usually I usually that's not the kind of thing that is exciting to me even though we did some stuff like that in Ancestor um, but I try to deploy that in just the right it can be distracting if you if you are just constantly like trying to get to like the most exciting uh, yeah it's, it's the 90s it's Rob Liefeld where no one's <laughs> at, there's no story and people are just jumping at camera and there's no right, backgrounds right. yeah I mean you know and I wouldn't even I've not even in that sense, like um, like the Hawkeye series that Matt Fraction and David Aja. Aja did was like almost every issue there was like a really cool kind of formal thing that they did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I liked that. I, that was one of the reasons that I liked that series. Uh, but when I'm making stuff, it it feels like to me it's more about trying to really precisely calibrate like the ebb and flow of the reading experience. So we will do something crazy like in Ancestor there's a page that has like over a hundred panels on it but that's not something we would just do. Like we do that at a specific moment to intentionally try and sort of create a sense of awe basically. Um, So you're saying that Fraction and Aja are the John Woo of overusing <laughs> narrative mechanics. I don't know. They feel a little bit more artful to me than John Woo, but I'm not necessarily a John Woo fan. So. I like John Woo's foreign stuff. You know, his I American don't have movies much are awful. With his like the ones that people oh, really like. Oh man, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's he's really dope when he's dope, and when he's not dope, then it's wind talkers. Oh, I haven't even seen that one. I think I've only seen he did the was it the second Mission Impossible? <laughs> Stinkeroonie. I think that's my my main Ooh-wee. interaction. That with movie Chandra. fucking blows. <laughs> that movie blows. Um, but yeah, his Chai Young Fat movies are like. There's a reason why that guy is a globally recognized icon. Like he's fucking amazing, and his use of slow motion is so purposeful and so tension filled and beautiful. And then he came to the States and was just like, well, how much money are you going to pay me again? (laughs) Fuck it. Face off. Let's do this. It's like faces are being torn off and it's like they're a face off fighting each (laughs) face off. What else do you need? What else do you need to know? Um, Also, English is is, is I don't know if he's really fluent in English. So I think that some of his ideas might not translate necessarily because, you know, it's a collaborative medium. And when. There's a bunch of people around you, and you you're speaking speaking through an interpreter, or maybe your ideas just culturally aren't gelling. Maybe that's one of the bazillion reasons why his fucking right. American movies are terrible. Well, I mean, that makes me interested to see his previous movies just for the slow mo thing because that's something that's a technique that is is so like probably entrenched in a certain way because mm-hmm. of the American movies that he made um, that usually when it's used it's not something that I'm into yeah, <laughs> so. no, I would agree but that's also because we're like at the furthest end of that pendulum swing right now 
like all the Zack Snyder movies where people right. are like, you know, everything is in slow motion. You know, right. somebody's looking pensively into camera and it's slow motion for no reason. Right. Someone's taking a shower and it's slow motion. Someone's making a bowl of cereal and it's slow motion. Yeah. You know, that was something I I overall liked the Wonder Woman movie, but the the slow-mo in that kind of burned mm. me on a lot of the mm. scenes where I, I felt like I was, everyone else was like really invested in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or like, you know, there are like these big moments where you're supposed to be like, yeah, that was awesome. And it just felt like not like I was not experiencing that the way that it was intended. <laughs> right, right. Um, but, you know, maybe that's just my, like, maybe I just have, like, this weird pet peeve about slow-mo because of the, the way that it was used yeah. before. We're, I mean, we're, yeah. you, we're living in a post-Wachowski world, right? Right, like, right, right. You know, the, and for better or for worse, that, that slow-mo bullet time camera they, movie you know, bullshit isn't going to go back into that Pandora's box. There were a lot of like POV bullet shots in Wonder Woman 2 where I was like, another one, all right. <laughs> you, you know, that's I call those uh, when somebody gives good meeting. Like there's a couple moments like that in Batman, Superman, Dawn of Justice where there's a couple ideas, specifically the use of the name Martha, where that is the <laughs> dumbest fucking idea, but in a meeting... Uh-huh, uh-huh. When they when they're talking about you know we have a hole here we don't know how to solve this and there's fucking you know associate producer Jerry Cornishblab and he's like guys what if um what if we utilized the fact that uh, both Superman and Batman's mothers are named Martha they could bond over that <laughs> and everybody in the meeting goes oh <laughs> and you know there was a storyboard artist in one of those fucking sessions with Patty Jenkins where he was like or they were like. You know, the female storyboard artist was like, uh, what if we shot this from the perspective of a bullet? And Patty was like, that's a good thing that will help me in the meeting tomorrow. I'm going to say that. <laughs> and she said that. And Jeff Johns and whoever the fuck else were in that movie was like, <gasps> POV bullet shot. It makes so much thematic sense. And it's also a metaphor for the male gaze hitting her bracelet and being deflected. That's not true. Nobody said that in that meeting. Um, I've, uh, you're... That is a very good way of describing a sensation that I've had while watching certain things. Where, it, you yeah, you can see that some behind the scenes thing mm-hmm. happened where you know it all sounded really great. <laughs> yep, like the entirety of the Stallone Judge Dredd movie. Like that movie, I'm sure was really great in a meeting, <laughs> and then those guys saw that fucking footage and were like, "Oh, this is what we gave you money for." Fuck. It's like the weirdest version of you had to be there. Like, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. The movie's not good, but you should have seen you how they pitched this thing. Oh, man, that meeting, so would cool. it would have been so... <laughs> if you were just in that pitch meeting, you would want to see this movie, too. <laughs> Same thing for, like, the Mario movie. His name is Mario Mario, and he's an actual plumber, and he gets sucked into another dimension and has to fight dinosaur guys. We're giving logic to the video game. I'm sure that there was somebody at fucking Paramount or whoever produced that fucking movie, Sony, I don't know. And they were like, yeah... Mario, Mario. <laughs> I get. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that one to me feels like they were just like, okay, Mario Brothers movie. Kids like Mario Brothers. <laughs> Show it to me when you're done, basically. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I I actually do kind of like how fucking insane that movie is. It's been a while since I've seen that one, but I do appreciate a good crazy movie. 
I went and saw Jupiter Ascending in the theater Fuck for yeah, exactly you did. that reason. <laughs> Fuck yeah, you did. And I love to see all that money on the screen just yeah. being thrown, thrown away. away. Yeah. Yep, yep. And all, I mean, I'm always like, so even for the dumbest space opera you can imagine, like, like I said, I to think see just, that much I, I think money that like, is the pumped d- into it might be, yeah. That, that, I'm sure that is. See, but that movie doesn't make any sense on a meeting level either because you're like, so it's a fantasy in outer space about a genetically engineered werewolf who has to save the universe by rescuing this princess who doesn't know that she's a princess. And then, like, there's Eddie Redmayne. I mean, like, that movie, in, right. the, in the meeting, like, Eddie how did Redmayne. they sell that? You know how they sold that? They, they walked in with a DVD case of The Matrix. Yeah, they said, <laughs> we're the people that did The Matrix, mm-hmm. and now we want to give you a new Star Wars franchise. Mm-hmm. And then we're like, all right. <laughs> all right. Space werewolves. Okay. Yeah. All right. Is that any dumber than Wookiees? No. Like, <laughs> no. At, at least space werewolf guy, Channing Tatum, at least he wore pants. <laughs> right. This is our twist on the Wookiee. Yeah, yeah. What if a Wookiee had pants? What if a Wookiee was <laughs> sexy and <Right>. had pants? <laughs> right. They're like, people love Chewbacca. People love sexy things. Yes. <laughs> sexy Wookiee in space. Yeah. With neon colors. God, that's all you need. I've actually never seen that movie. You, oh, you should see it. Absolutely. Should I really, though? Yes. <laughs> if only for Reddy Men... Red... Eddie Redmayne? Eddie Redmayne's just inexplicably insane performance. Because I think he did that the same year that he got mm-hmm, mm-hmm. an Oscar. Mm-hmm. And it was, in my mind, easily the worst performance that I had seen that year. Like, he's... Mo, he's whispering for most of the movie, but like quivering, like, like trying to suppress like the most intense emotions that you can imagine. Weird. Verge of tears the entire movie. And then one or two times he just screams random lines, like Hmm. kind of without any warning, like it'll be like exposition or something, but he'll be like, "Eh, I'm going to scream this one. (laughs) And then I'm going to go back to, yeah. in the refrigerator. (laughs) Right. I mean, I would imagine that he just showed up and saw what was happening. It was just like, I'm, I'm just going to go nuts. Like, I'm going to be the weirdest person that you can imagine on this set. On uh, a set with, like, weird crocodile things and a dog man and, yeah, you know. Right. Yeah, God, I love that they got that made, though. Me too. Like, I, like, I love Speed Racer, but that movie's a failure. And the Wachowski siblings have just habitually said, nah, fuck you, we're going to do this at every turn. That's right. amazing to me. Right. Amazing. You have to love them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even if you don't like the goddamn movies, just them as people being like, yeah, yeah fuck it, whatever. Yeah. We're going to do exactly what we want to do. And we're going to write a shitty Speed Racer movie, or a shitty uh, Plastic Man movie that never gets made. And that's like oh, the I only... I don't even know about that. Oh, I, I have the script if you want to read it. <laughs> hey. Um, I love that you're like the hookup for all the weird scripts. That- <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. Oh yeah, because we were talking about another unnamed script that we can't say on the air. Right. The other day. That's right. I forgot about that. Um, yeah, I've got a bunch of weird stuff. If you want to read them, like I got um, Batman Year One by Frank Miller and Darren Aronofsky. Uh, weird. I didn't I, even know that was a thing. The J.J. Abrams Speed Racer movie. Weird. Um, I've got. A Sergeant Rock movie written by John Milius of <laughs> uh, Conan fame and Red Dawn. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, a William Goldman uh, 
uh, Captain Marvel Shazam movie that never got made. Um, what else do I have? Oh, the Scanners remake that was written by David Goyer. <laughs> what? It's so bad. It's so weird. You know what the big twist is? Mm-hmm. Instead of just having somebody's head explode, what if their whole body exploded? <laughs> Again, good meeting. <laughs> <laughs> David Goyer went into fucking where whoever had the rights and was like, I got this idea. Instead of head exploding, whole body explodes. Like the movie, Round of applause. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the movie opens with a scanner going to a, like a uh, like a Blackwater facility like out in the middle of, you know, Afghanistan where they're holding a terrorist. And you don't, you think that the scanner is the terrorist because it's a scanner's movie and then you realize the guy interrogating him as a scanner and then he kills the fucking terrorist because America fuck yeah and it doesn't just have his head explode because his head explodes and then all of his arteries in his entire body rip out of his body and just explode (laughs) I do kind of want to see that right yeah right the weird thing is I would almost be into it because that is kind of a cool spin on the idea of Scanners. Like, because I, I don't know if you like the Scanners movies, but I've seen all it's, three of the originals and the two oh. Scanner Cop sequel spinoffs. <laughs> wow. I've only seen the original. It's a great it movie. A long time ago. <laughs> it's a really good movie. Uh, Scanners 2, The New Order, is also a great movie. It's basically like an X Men movie. Um, I don't think I even knew that there were sequels. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're not. To the same production quality as the original, <laughs> okay. but the, but the second one you can you can see they're kind of trying, and then I think they saw they shot two and three like back to back because they both were like direct to DVD, um, and so the third one is like almost fun but not really, <laughs> and then the Scanners Cop movies I think were like failed TV pilots like I think Scanners Cop was a failed oh. TV pilot that they just shot an extra half an hour for made it into a direct to DVD thing and then somehow it made money and they made another Scanners Cop movie. Weird. Um, but like I'm almost into the idea of like a weird paramilitary scanners movie where they just like rip people in half with their psychic abilities. That sounds cool to me. Yeah. Does that happen much anymore? The like slow descent from like feature film that does well into like, <laughs> yeah, actually it does like DVD, or, uh, you know. Scorpion King. Oh yeah. There's like four Scorpion yeah, King yeah. movies. I uh, think I have one on my Netflix queue that I'm Fuck like, yeah, you do. Where Randy Couture is the Scorpion King. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. that's the one. Yeah. Because I'm also a sucker for just like any sort of ancient civilization, anything. Right, right. Uh, also, The Marine, the that movie that John Cena starred in. I think there's three or four of them where Mike the Miz, the <laughs> other wrestler who's just a weird giant straight white guy, he's now the Marine. They've made like two or three sequels of The Marine with him. <laughs> Um, I I don't think I was even aware of the first one. It that is a a movie about a marine starring a giant wrestler. Mm-hmm. It's just like and the, uh, <laughs> and the villain is played by Robert Patrick, who is a former police officer who drives like a souped up Corvette police car. So it's a it's a Corvette painted like a Crown Vic. <laughs> it's really dumb. <laughs> it's really dumb. Mm. Um, yeah, there's also, the, there's like a weird, I think Fox is doing a bunch of these weird direct-to-DVD sequels for movies that are like 15 to 20 years old. Like, they just made a sequel to um, Kindergarten Cop with Dolph Lundgren. That's 
disturbing. And also, they made a sequel. Now that we're on this topic, they we, they just made a sequel <laughs> to fucking. Uh, uh, the other Jingle All the Way. They made a sequel to Jingle All the Way with Larry the Cable Guy as the main character. <laughs> what? I, okay, I feel like I've learned more than I wanted to. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We went down the wormhole. I'm sorry. Uh, Larry the Cable Guy in Jingle All the Way. Yeah. Also, All what's right. that franchise? Wrong Turn. I think there's like six or seven Wrong Turn movies now. The horror franchise. You know what I'm talking about? Really? Yeah. That. That uh, horror ones always, I guess, make sense just because there's such a tradition of like making way too many. Yeah, them, yeah, you know? yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Entire body exploding. That that was probably my favorite part of the Alien Covenant movie. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, <laughs> I feel like it's not spoiling. It's in the trailer where you see that guy's back, kind of. <laughs> pop i fucking <laughs> loved that goddamn movie you and i actually you and i had a whole like two hour conversation i know i almost hesitated to bring it up just because it's like a whole other there's like, a whole thing yeah. yeah uh but we had a massive talk about how uh m- my opinion is that the movie is fucking genius and that it's tony scott attempting to work through the grief of his brother's death and process the fact that he blames himself for Tony Scott's untimely suicide um, through the lens of this right. franchise. Um, I am not ready to go that far. <laughs> 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 but uh, I, did, I did enjoy it more than most people, I think. People are stupid. You know what they yes. like? People, people like Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. People Do like they? Man of Steel. No, no one likes that movie. <laughs> but I'm just saying that move, both of those movies made a fuckload of money. Yeah, you know, I used to, I used to uh, in the last couple of years, I've definitely had more of a like. Hmm, I guess people are dumb. Uh, Transformers. <laughs> think, How many Transformers movies are going to make like I a know, bazillion dollars each? Yeah, I, I forget where we were. Nicole and I were at some show recently-ish, and somebody was talking about how s- they were basically saying. A comic was good because it sold a lot of units. And uh, he turned to, I don't remember if it was Nicole or I, he, she to, he turned to one of us and was like, a million Elvis fans can't be wrong. And then, I feel like it was Nicole, but I don't remember. One of us was like, yeah, a million Miley Cyrus fans can't be wrong either. <laughs> which was like the best <laughs> fucking comeback. And I wish I remembered which one it was. Like, right, I, right. Because no, I, I have seen people that sort of advocate for like, if it does well, then it's then good. It's good, yeah. Um, but I, it's I don't think anybody really believes that because there's all their there's all the stuff that they don't like. Yes. And I can't imagine that they really do just think that anything that does well is good, <laughs> right? Like they're not you. They're not making decisions on what they consume based on that. Yeah, yeah. Probably, I'm right? only gonna watch the top ten percent grossing. Like, I only watch fucking Big Bang Theory. That's the only TV show I watch because <laughs> right. it's so profitable. It is. There's the a weird just sort of whatever human mind thing that is really strange to watch when, when a fill-in-the-blank thing crosses that threshold of being, like, doing well to being the thing that mm-hmm. people recommend or talk about. And it 
it takes on this whole other life that's so disconnected even from what it is almost. Um, the fucking Dark Knight principle? The Godfather principle? Fucking, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or it, like in comics, as background, I work at a comic book store. Seeing... That's strange. Why would you do that? <laughs> no, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I'm being sarcastic, <laughs> but yes. Um... <laughs> I didn't even know if you were being sarcastic, honestly. No, oh, there's what? So many. No, no, no. Of course, <laughs> I've worked in two different comic book stores. I love comics, um, but seeing like seeing Saga pretty immediately go from a popular comic to the most popular comic that people will walk by the store and they'll see it in the window that there's a new copy and like can't get in the store fast enough to buy it. Mm. Um, and people that don't read any other comics, you know, are reading Saga. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how it happens. There's just some weird. I think I feel like some that, weird honestly, crescendo where all of a sudden that's this yeah. is the thing. I'm glad that that's the thing though, and it's not yeah. Daredevil or Batman or something. Oh yeah, not absolutely. that I have a problem with those books, but like, thank God that right now we're living in an age where creators even though they've been working in the industry for 20 years and have 17 eisners and ran a tv show and were done lost (laughs) can make a creator own book work um but i i i'm excited for the day when you know it's not brian k vaughn and fiona staples it's rando and yahoo out from middle of nowhere nebraska who just like exploded onto the scene and everyone's like oh this fucking book by these two people from the in this basement this is the shit right yeah i mean i don't i'm not i don't I don't really know the timeline of Brian K. Vaughn's, like, body of work. Um, But, I mean, it feels like all of his biggest successes have been, you know, creator-owned or some degree of that. Like, outside of the... Uh, I guess it it depends on what you count as creator-owned, right? Right, right. But, I mean, like... Someone like, say, Ed Brubaker, who's a great writer, is kind of maybe has one of the more expected trajectories where they write some books for Marvel or DC that do really well and everyone really likes, and then they can carry that yeah. success into the creator owned or, you know, their own characters that they've created. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Is it. Yeah, he's. Bri- Brian K. Vaughn, I feel like, is runaways? mostly. Yeah, Runaways. Runaways was his first kind of big... I mean, he's, he did stuff before that, but that was his first, like, big... Okay. Oh, fuck you, you know? And honestly, I wasn't sure it was... So when, so when was Why the Last Man? I think it's pretty soon after that, because okay. uh, Runaways was part of that tsunami line that Marvel right. tried to do, where they were like, we're going to bring manga to the kids! Right, <laughs> right. And it didn't work, except for Runaways, which is a huge success out of that. Right. Um, but yeah, but, the, but see... Can you really call Why the Last Man and, and Ex Machina creator owned? Because they're both 50% and controlling interest owned by both Wildstorm and Vertigo, which are now both owned by DC. Right. And creator owned isn't, uh, that's not the right word for what I'm thinking of. I, I just mean more um, something that they made from scratch, basically. Sure. You totally. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're not coming in and. You know, benefiting from people's interest in Batman. the X Men, yeah, yeah, totally, yeah, because yeah. yeah. I mean, 
Yes, Brian K. Vaughn worked on a bunch of stuff like Ultimate X-Men, and he had uh, that Logan miniseries, and I feel like he did a Nick Fury thing, maybe? That's not right. No. But he he did stuff at Marvel for an extended period of time. Um, but I don't think he, to prove your point, yeah, I don't, I don't think he did have like a... Oh fuck! If you read Brian K. Vaughn's Ultimate X Men, where Longshot shows up, <laughs> what? That right. shit was crazy. Right, right. But unfortunately, that's kind of rare. The point I'm getting to is that it would be great to see, yeah, someone really come up and get huge. You know, pretty fully outside of the that's, superhero I mean, context. Yeah. Yes, that, exactly. That is exactly what I want. But you know. I I don't see how that can happen with Diamond the way it is right now. Unless it's somebody tapping into a system that utilizes the internet, like a Kickstarter, like the guy that made, um, oh God, what is his name? He's a Hispanic gentleman who makes a webcomic called like something something. It's a guy's name, like Benedict Humberstunch. (laughs) And it's like a detective book or something. I've never read it. It's a big, really big webcomic and like... Every time he puts a trade up on Kickstarter, it makes like three, four hundred thousand um, dollars, okay. and he's like really, really huge, but kind of outside of the comics system. Yeah, yeah, I'm mostly thinking of like a someone that's doing like a monthly comic because yeah. yeah, there are definitely web comics people or mm-hmm. people that are more like book market aimed that obviously have Randa Tegelmeyer. Yeah, 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 yes. yeah. Nobody's. Bigger yeah. than yeah, yeah. She's I, I love that she's the biggest name in the game, and nobody in comics even knows who she is because that's how fucking <laughs> right. behind and dumb people in comics are. Right. Uh, yeah. So uh, obviously there are great examples of people, uh, and that are doing really well outside of that, and that's awesome. That's how it kind of should be. But it still would be fun to see someone come up through the serialized monthly kind of diamond format um uh just because that i think is like a fun way to read stories i agree (laughs) um but uh and i you know i think i still think that there's an opportunity for that i think people i think readers want that like they're waiting for someone to fill that spot we were we were talking about this i don't remember what show we were at but we were talking about this a while ago where it's like we're in a weird generational gap where all the people at the big two you can feel that their heart's not in it and they're kind of just there to make commercials for their other work, you know? Um, yeah, and I mean, who knows what's going on behind the scenes. Of course, because like, shit's crazy. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, like, fuck so much of what's happening from an editorial standpoint. Like, oh my god, the Watchmen shit? This fucking Doomsday <laughs> Clock bullshit? Yeah. The thing that bums me out so much about this is that Jeff Johns is positioning it like, you know, in the end, hope will win out over pessimism, and that I'm going to use um, Dr. Manhattan as a symbol for pessimism and this grim era in comics and Superman as a symbol of light and hope. And obviously the good guy's going to win in the end and that hope will win out overall. And that's an enduring message that we all need to embrace. Except for the fact that Jeff Johns is taking a character that should be owned by Alan Moore and was sold to Alan Moore as something that would be creator-owned to do something against the original creator's wishes, which is like inherently proving that pessimism wins in the end. Yeah, and that cynicism <laughs> is the ultimate. Like, it's just it just crushes me. The the whole thing with all of the Watchmen stuff to me, 
that's... Also, for uh, you, uh, so that everybody knows, Malachi was also one of the artists that we we all did Shitty Watchmen at his oh, yes. studio. Yeah. Um, the... Uh, the... <laughs> It's crazy to me to think, to imagine myself being a comic book creator, as I am, but getting some <laughs> call that, like, oh, you can work on this thing that, you know, asterisks the guy who, you know, one of the two main people that created this story uh, doesn't want anyone to do anything with. Like, he's explicitly mm-hmm. said that. Mm-hmm. Don't do anything with these characters. Forget anything else. Mm-hmm. Who cares if he's a weirdo jerk? Mm-hmm. That, that doesn't even matter. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's awful. <laughs> yeah, and just from like a, you know, a looking at this the macro lens of like the standpoint of the medium of comics, for better or for worse. Watchmen has done things and reached outside of comics in ways that no other book has done. You don't have to like it. It's just an empiric fact that it has reached a segment of the human condition that no other comic has since, like, the original Superman, Batman, you know, the 1930s and 40s, arguably the 60s, where it was like, there's these new ideas and new characters and blah, blah, blah. But that's a different idea than this the Watchmen working on an artistic level to be featured on Time's 100 Greatest Novels since <laughs> 1920 or whatever. Right. Like, no other comic is on that list. And so for DC, from an editorial standpoint, to be like, yeah, but, like, what if they hung out with Batman? <laughs> right. Like, what? Like, what if we just brought the characters from Grapes of Wrath into, you know, what if we brought Boo Radley or Bradley, whatever the shit that character's name was from To Kill a Mockingbird. And what if he just, like, hung out with Spider-Man and learned a lesson from Spider-Man? I mean, I am pitching that around right now. <laughs> 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 I mean, I, you know, Superman fights Muhammad Ali. Like, yeah. that I'm sure if people cared enough, mm-hmm. <laughs> if mm-hmm. the comic book readership was a little bit more sophisticated, then yeah. maybe you would see Boo Radley <laughs> in some comic books. But, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I would. I would love to see that. Uh, War and Peace and Superman. Well, <laughs> what if? What if we just just took Tolstoy, like the man Tolstoy, and just had him just like hang out with uh, Power Pack? This, what if Tolstoy was the the like <laughs> the new head of Power Pack? This this doesn't even sound slightly far fetched to me. <laughs> In a world with pride and prejudice and zombies. Yeah. Like why why not? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Sort of a tangent from that, but one of my favorite uh like the good version of this uh comics by Jason. Do you know that mm-hmm. that cartoonist? Uh Left Bank Gang. Mm-hmm. You read that? Yes. Uh that's like a great use of we yeah, have they... like Hemingway and Faust. No. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's Hemingway. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh fuck! Yeah, there's like four, Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald. Yeah, it's like yeah. four of his contemporaries. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but yeah. as dogs, as and, dogs, and as cartoonists, as cartoonists, and so they because they're cartoonists, they don't make any money, so they start robbing banks, mm-hmm. and it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And so, 
weirdly appropriate. Like everything feels holistic and thought through and like it's a cohesive universe, which is very strange when you're talking about anthropomorphic cartoonist versions of F. Scott Fitzgerald and fucking Ernest Hemingway and all these motherfuckers. You know, and it's the kind of thing that um, Jason doing it, it's genius because of the kind of cartoonist that he is. Um, but it doesn't sound that far off from like the dumbest image book you could imagine or yeah. like, you know, not, not like necessarily a book that you would see now, but like this like super high concept kind of just goofy for its own sake, mm-hmm. more mainstream oriented book. Um, but yeah, somehow like if that book had come out. 20 years previously, it would have been like Time Beavers or Dinosaurs for Hire or, you know, TMNT. Right. right. Or the hamster one that I can never get the title. Adolescent Kung Fu Hamsters right, or something. Right. I don't. Yeah. I don't. I never can say that name right. Um, it's impossible to remember. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I just, there's, there's someone, there's so many amazing things happening right now because no one's looking at comics, you know? I you know I like I said work in a comic book store and when I was on the floor at Meltdown looking around there's still stuff that I've never seen before because mm-hmm. there's just so much stuff that's coming out um, and a lot of it is really cool mm-hmm. <laughs> and the, the, it, it's hard to keep track of all of it. It really is, yeah. And also like because of print on demand and Kickstarter and all these. I think I read a statistic that was like Kickstarter is the number two publisher in <laughs> North America for comics or something like that. Like it's above, um, maybe this was like two years ago. So at that point it was above DC. It was like Marvel and then DC or, and then Kickstarter as a quote unquote publisher and then right. DC and everybody else. Um, yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. Like, I, I, and it's, it's cool. Cause it's this weird distribution model that gets around the diamond monopoly bullshit. It, it lets people who don't have the means to get their weirdo anthropomorphic transsexual <laughs> porn comic out. Like, there's so many interesting ways that the internet is helping people make their niche products. Um, and now I just want the bridge. Yeah. I want, like, a, a legitimate path from that to a career. It's one of the reasons that they're not really being any money for critics uh, or any kind of comics criticism of any kind, really. Uh, it's such a bummer because mm-hmm. those are the people that can really mm-hmm. find stuff and, uh, you know, analyze the work that's coming out and see what's interesting and what we shouldn't even care about anymore and all that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. if someone wants to be a comics critic, then, you know, it's they're just doing it on their free time. Maybe, you know, they get to write like a column that they probably get paid 10 bucks for or something like that. And even then, nobody's in the comics criticism game to be comics critics. They're in the comics critics game to get noticed to make comics. <laughs> right. There's a lot of that too, for sure. But, you know, there's great... Like, the Comics and Cola does, like, really cool... Women Write About Comics is really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Like, yeah, that's a way that I've found a lot of stuff that I wasn't aware of before. Just because Zainab has, like, such cool tastes and Mm -hmm. 
is so good at like combing through whatever you know catalogs or whatever she's looking at to yeah. find. I mean, it has to be stuff. like conventions and then just like weird back alleys of the internet, right? Maybe. Yeah, probably, but you know, it's time consuming. Oh, like. absolutely! <laughs> it's like it's like the the you know the juncture that everyone gets to where they're like, I don't think I give a shit about spending thirty five hours on insert streaming platform here discovering new music. I'm just gonna listen to right the Smiths again. <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> right? You know? Right. Yeah, I'm. I'm sort of just starting to feel that, like, like growing up, I was very intense about like listening to new stuff as it came out, and then starting to feel like I don't know if I want to comb through the new releases to, you know, in the hopes that like over the course of three months, I'll find mm-hmm. one thing that I like yeah, the, the a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah that you, you're like, oh, this isn't bad. This is all right. Um. Uh, let's go back to Ancestor for a minute, because I have questions about specifically the reaction that you get from people. Because hmm. uh, you mentioned briefly to me that it attracts a very specific type of human at conventions, someone who's a little bit maybe more intense. Uh, yeah. I mean, the there's there are themes around, um. A few, like, some very, like, there's stuff about the singularity in there. Um, and there's, you know, some kind of, like, heady sci-fi stuff. And then also there's, the main character has, like, a form of anxiety that uh, Matt and I really wanted to make feel real. And fortunately for us, people really connected with that part of the story. Um, and also really connected with a lot of the bigger ideas um but yeah it can it can be people it's it's awesome actually people like have really thrown themselves into the book and matt and i you know really tried to think through every kind of aspect of it but we've heard so much like really intense passionate and uh interpretations of it that we had never even thought about it at all, um, and that that the I think the book legitimately like supports like it's not like they're crazy or something like that like yeah, they're yeah. you know they're like really really engaged with it and that's been so cool, um, but yeah I mean you know we Matt and I make like pretty nerdy sci-fi stuff that's like influenced by like seventies European comics so you know it's there's a certain crowd that's Mm -hmm. into that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and uh i don't know you know it's of course you want like as kind of broad uh a group of people reading your stuff as possible but um it's it's just so cool that everyone is like that so far the reaction has been like people are really into it. Although I did make the mistake of going on Goodreads, and uh, and people were like, "Fuck this Malachi Ward guy." <laughs> the uh, it's definitely like a love it or hate when you look at the mm. like ratings or whatever. Um, and generally, it seems like people aren't driven to write anything, at least on the ancestor Goodreads page, uh, unless they're angry. Mm. Um, and you know the. There are. It was written to be read in a serialized form, so there are some pretty big shifts in the narrative, and uh, people don't. 
I mean, we knew this when we were writing it yeah. that, you know, some people are going to love it. And anytime you do something like that, anytime you make the story into something people didn't think that it was going to be, a certain amount of people are not going to like that. Yeah. Um, and those people are on Goodreads and they're writing their uh-huh. reviews. It's <laughs> so funny because I was the exact opposite in this specific issue that you're dancing around talking about where it's something drastically changes and you know from the word go it's basically like oh we're here right <laughs> right i was like <laughs> and i haven't written on goodreads so that proves your hypothesis <laughs> um but i mean obviously it's not fun to read that stuff but it wasn't anything that was like that like got to me or anything like that right. you know it's all the kind yeah. of stuff that you're like yeah that's what I mean. Yeah, people are going to be mad about that kind of thing, right? Um, but uh, but I'm you know I always love when a story kind of uh, it's not a twist necessarily, but when it shifts gears in a way that you just don't mm-hmm. when it be, shifts genres in a way that oh, you don't yeah. think it's going to do. Yeah, that's how I felt about that Ryan Johnson movie, uh, Looper. When the last act of that movie shifts genre completely from being like a science fiction time travel story to being something else, I was like, this is fucking rad. And I had <laughs> no idea that we were going to this place. <laughs> yeah, you know, even the kind of the origin point for me for that was um, what was the Robert Rodriguez, Quentin Tarantino? It's like the most kind of like extreme example of uh, Grindhouse? The Planet Terror movie? No. Tarantino wrote it. <laughs> Oh, 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 uh, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, Dust Till Dawn. Dust Till Dawn. Which is, like, not the best movie. I but... love that movie. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> also, another example of weird DVD franchise. There's three sequels to that motherfucker. That's right. You know, and I started even watching the TV show, which was just, like, a weirdly, like, slowed-down version of the movie. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the the shift in that when it goes from being one movie to another movie is, you know, kind of the most, like, cleanly, like, bifurcated, like, it's this kind of movie up to this point, and then it's that kind of movie. Mm-hmm. And it's fully those types of movies mm-hmm. when it's there. Um, that was just, like, so exciting to me when I saw it, whatever, the first time that I saw it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, anything like that, <laughs> I'm into. I have to now intentionally not do that anymore because oh really well yeah because i like some of the like utu is kind of that way too where it sort of seems like it's a historical fiction story for the first 13 pages and then it's not for the last 13 pages um so yeah my inclination is to almost try that all the time (laughs) and that was something that was built into ancestor from the very beginning it was like you know what if fill in the blank <laughs> you know uh what if where most movies end is kind of like there's a whole other fourth yeah there's like a story f- to th- go yeah yeah know? yeah a, f- a fourth uh, act yeah 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 uh so it was it changed a lot as we were working on it but it was that was kind of the starting point mm. um but uh yeah, I don't know. The the next thing... Actually, the next thing will be more like that last fourth of Ancestor. Oh, really? But it'll be the whole series. 
I, I'm, I don't want to say I am else. so <laughs> tempted to ask you about this. We're, uh, Matt and I are writing two things at once because we there's going to be a huge gap in between Ancestor and the next thing that we do together, and uh, for a variety of reasons. But one of the reasons is that we don't want there to be a gap anymore. Uh, so we're going to try and build up as much mm. material so that when the we're going to be writing two things this year drawing one of them after that and then um hopefully when that comes out once that first thing is finished we'll be able to start the second thing right away um and part of that is also just because the two things are like very very different from each other Mm -hmm. um so and you guys are also doing solo stuff too right like you're doing another project right now yeah so this year while we're writing stuff together uh matt is drawing something for simon roy um, that'll be like a mini series, and then I'm doing like a solo book mm-hmm. that'll just come out as like a you know standalone book, mm-hmm. um, which was a lot harder coming out of Ancestor, just because I Matt does all the heavy lifting on the draftsmanship <laughs> mm. in Ancestor, so then all of a sudden because we were working pretty intensely on that, and then going from that to like oh man. Now I gotta like figure out the perspective on this panel. <laughs> like, that's probably my least favorite, or it just became much harder after Ancestor than it was before Ancestor. So it, this year has kind of been me like getting my drawing chops back, mm. which isn't a fun thing to do. No, it's not. <laughs> I uh, I am. I'm not even really working on it. One of my one of uh one of our mutual friends, Colby Bluth, uh has offered to work with me to make like a little animated action hospital short film thing. Oh, awesome. Be real it, it's not going to be anything big and it, it, I mean it will be a lot of work because it's animated, but it's not going to be like a 7-minute short film or something. It'll be like a 15 to 20 second thing and um uh, you know, I'll probably end up using it for the Action Hospital Kickstarter, or maybe we'll just put it on a line when the, the the next book is done, and just be like, "Hey, look, remember that thing I've been <laughs> working on for the last year and a half? <laughs> Here's a weird little animated thing that looks it's the same characters running around." Um, and so I went over to his house a couple days ago, and we were storyboarding out what this little animated sequence is going to be. And I brought all the pages, and I was showing him all the stuff for the book that I've been working on. And yeah. It, it's so funny to see, like, me in the beginning of the inking phase where it's like, holy fuck, I don't know how I inked that to now <laughs> where it's like, oh, am I going to have to, like, re-ink this shit? Because this is right. not nearly as detailed as the stuff in the beginning of the book. Right. Yeah, I mean, the the first thing that Matt did, Matt and I did, uh, expansion was, like, kind of started as a jam comic. We did one page and we're like, oh, that was fun. Um, let's try and do like a standalone story and we started that and then it went from like a 30 page standalone story to like a 100 page four part mm. thing um, so the so you're seeing us learn how to work together how to write something that's longer mm-hmm. <laughs> even because you know, mm-hmm. everything we had done was all very short mm-hmm. um, and also just like how to draw comics still that was 2010 when we started that so we were i had made two com two mini comics 
mm-hmm. you know, and I think he had made one. Um, so it's <laughs> it's very visible from, uh, over the course of the book. Um, and for a long time, we were like, oh, maybe we'll like do a rewrite and a redraw of it or something like that. But no, gotta move no, forward. Yeah, just, just, <laughs> yeah exactly. Because you are—is it all done now? You guys are just doing a collection, or are you finishing up anything else with it? Because I haven't read that one. We are going to do a collection, yeah. Uh, which for a while wasn't—I felt iffy about it. Why? Uh, well, like I said, it was the first thing that we did, and mm-hmm. it was—you know—there's like a pretty big learning curve, and even where the learning curve ends is still kind of like pre-profit, mm. and yeah. It's kind of all right before we get really comfortable working with each other. Um, and uh, so, I, yeah, I just wasn't necessarily, like, dying for people to see it. Mm. Which, you know, if you, to release a book is not – there's a lot of work that goes into it. So if you're going to put that work in, then it, you want it to be for something that you're excited for to get out into the world. And then also, you know, Ancestor is basically the only – book that we had out and it felt like maybe I wanted initially I was like I think I might want more context before we release something that's older um but uh well honestly what happened was Simon Roy hadn't I don't think he'd read the whole thing ever and I sent him a pdf and he he just kind of bugged me about it for like <laughs> I don't know a week or something like that um until until I was I told him that we would do it if he would do like a new story set in the expansion mm. world, and he said yes. So then I had to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but over the course of like preparing it and everything like that, um, I'm like really excited to get the book out, and it's presented in a way that um, I think contextualizes it a little bit, so that people can view it as people can see it as like a book about how we make stuff a little bit. It's um, kind of like a demo tape. But or something yeah. above a demo tape maybe. A li- not- a little bit. But and and just like I mean I'm always interested to see the progression of an artist. Um so hopefully people will want to see that too. And th- I mean there's still things about that story that I think are cool and like interesting and there's like you can see a lot of the like there's like a weird cult thing that, in that too and mm. you know um, and, uh, you know, a dramatic shift in what you think the story is going to be and right, <laughs> all right. kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like there's proto versions of things that we do later in Ancestor. Um, and then on top of that, there's a really cool new story from Simon Roy and Matt and I do a new story set in the expansion universe that's, that, you know, I turned out really well. And we've got, um, Brandon Graham is going to do like a little comic for it. Farrell's doing a drawing. So there's going to be a bunch of cool stuff yeah, in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just finished, like, most of the design for the book. Like, it's going to look really cool. Um, are you guys putting it out yourselves, or are you... No, I, we're just about ready to announce it. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so it'll be, like, official, official uh, in the next few weeks, probably. But, uh, so, yeah, I'm excited to for people to pick it up. And also, I'm excited to n- not have to write people emails apologizing that they can't find the fourth part of answer or of uh, <laughs> of expansion because uh 
it does happen where people are like, oh, man, I got the, like, first three from you, like, two years ago or three years ago or something at a show, and I don't really know how the story <laughs> ends and, that you know, I can't find these things anywhere. So that'll be a lot nicer than just being sending them a PDF and being like, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, comics are, uh, comics are murder to keep in print. They're, yeah, it's that, not, I don't think people realize how hard it is right. to keep you, that shit. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for a long time, I was keeping everything in print, all the self-published stuff in print. And then when the collection, my first collection uh, from now on came out, it was like, here's my excuse to get out of the me. Mm-hmm. Living at King Coast bullshit? Yeah, forever and ever and ever printing these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been kind of nice. It's weird now doing shows and like not having stuff the way I used to have. Like, I used to be able to just fill a table up with, like, all the comics. Mm -hmm. But now it's like, well, I have two books and prints. Mm -hmm. And then that's kind of it. (laughs) Um, So you're saying you're slowly moving in the direction of being one of those asshole print guys who just have walls of people's (laughs) faces. There's just, like, Spider-Man drawings everywhere. (laughs) Right. Yeah, Yeah, I would love to have a wall. (laughs) Uh, uh, But I think... Matt and I figured out a cool little zine that we're going to make the next time we have the chance that I'm excited about. So we'll have some more, like, mm-hmm. smaller price point stuff to bring to shows again, which will be nice. What's the zine? The zine, it's going to be like a vertical accordion fold kind of a thing. Oh, it was cool. originally supposed to be like a like a comic you would read on your phone. Mm. Um, but just timing wasn't. Sure. Of course. We weren't going to be able to finish it and when we were supposed to finish it. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then also, it, I mean, just because of who I am, it's way more exciting to be like, oh, and then we'll have like this cool little fold-out zine thing that people <laughs> can buy at shows. That's way more exciting to me than a thing you can look at on your phone. Speaking of shows, are you doing any shows coming up? When's the next? Uh, hmm. I don't think I'm really doing anything until... September. Oh, Rose City Comic Con, I think, okay. is the first, is the next thing I'm doing. And I think, I think that's, we'll have expansion for that show. Oh, cool. Um, if we don't have it for that one, I'll have it at SBX, which okay. is like the weekend after that. Word. Yeah, I'll, I'll see you at SBX then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've only done that show once, and it's like one of my favorite it was, shows. We, yeah, do. we did it last year for the first time, and it was stupid fun. Yeah, stupid it, was, fun. it was the best time I'd had at a show for sure. Just, yeah. like, after hours, you I, know? Yes. I love the <laughs> fact that everybody stays in the hotel. I love... Also, I should get a hotel room. Has <laughs> I that need opened? to do that, too. <laughs> uh, this, You know, this happened the last time, too, and I had to Fuck. share a room with somebody. I need, to, I need to get down with that. I've been so yeah. busy booking all our other cons this year. That one's been kind of like, oh, I, I'll do that. I'll I have do it. no idea how you stay on top of all that stuff. Me doing like four shows a year, I'm just like, <laughs> You do like, what? 15? 20? Yeah, somewhere in there. I don't know. Last year, I think we did like 30-something. I don't remember. Jeez. And then this year, I think we're doing high teens, maybe 20, low 20s. I don't remember. Okay. Yeah. Uh but yeah, the the thought bubble in England is the one that I'm like really paranoid about. Like, how the fuck are we gonna get all our books there? Right. How the fuck are we gonna do this? The exchange rate's gonna be murder. Right. Like, ugh. I do. I. That's one of the shows that I really want to get to at some point. Um. But yeah, all the like, all that minutia, all the traveling stuff, like stresses me out more than it does normal people. At least from my experience. 
Um, yeah, we were both real so freaked that. out because we, I guess we haven't recorded an episode since then. Yeah, Nicole and I went to Canada for 10 days for Toronto Comics Arts Festival in Vancouver. Right. <laughs> were they, was it just it was basically two weekends? Like, of, yeah, it was, okay. so it was a weekend. We flew into Toronto on like a Thursday, hung out there for a couple of days, did the show that Saturday, Sunday, hung out for a couple more days and then flew to Vancouver, hung out there for whatever until the weekend did the show and then left um that sunday night so we were there all together i think 10 days okay um and that flying in was terrifying right because you hear you've heard all kinds of stories about like books not making it through and yeah yeah. (laughs) people you know you know immigrations people being snarky with foreigners and you know (laughs) right other things that I may or may not have done. I'm not confirming anything. <laughs> you know, I totally I abided by the laws to the best of my knowledge. <laughs> you know, like, shifty eyes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. For the listener. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I. It was. It was very stressful going in, and it was nothing. They were just like, "Oh yeah, you're coming here for a chat. Fuck it, whatever, kid. Move along." That's awesome. Yeah, and now you know. El Jefe's fucking picking fights with everybody, and <laughs> we're all fucked. And now I'm trying to go to England and be like, "Hey, please don't look in my suitcases." <laughs> I mean, what? Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. It's gonna be harder to travel, probably. Probably, we'll, we will fucking see what happens. Uh, I have no idea. I'm also concerned just about the exchange rate and dealing with the fact that so much of the reason why the Canada shows were so great is that both VanCaf and TCAF helped us change back our money. Right. Like, TCAF just straight up does it, and then VanCaf was really nice, and they bought all of our coins, because in Canada, $1 and $2 are coins, not uh, bills. So whenever people would come to the table and buy stickers, it would be, hey, here's a quarter, here's three quarters, or here's right. a coin, here's three coins. And by the end of the, t- the day, you have like $100 in coins, which right. in the States, you can't change back. They don't take coins okay yeah so, that's how it was when we went to japan too yeah same i have so many fucking uh you know pieces of japanese currency that are all coined that i can't do anything with right but i justify it to myself because i'm like oh no next time i go back <laughs> just take it just accumulating it. wealth yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly uh, yeah because isn't isn't it tcaf like all through beguiling like don't you like go to beguiling to like uh, we didn't. Maybe oh, it was okay. at one point. We went to, uh, it was basically a library. It yeah, but a, I, I, for some reason I thought they had it worked out some weird way where like... Oh, oh, you meant, oh, yes, I'm sorry. I thought you meant the actual convention. Yes, it is. The the store, the Beguiling, puts on the show and like we sold them, quote unquote, books and shipped them to a U.S. drop site and they drew, uh, drove it across the border, which was okay. amazing. Like, it saved us so much money and they're fucking saints for doing it. And we did. We they, they, they feel, I shouldn't have said, quote, unquote, we did. We sold them books. <laughs> I don't know why I said, quote, unquote. Um, but, like, they, they, you know, you don't have to do that. They didn't have to right. go out of their so way to work. help. It's so <laughs> much work. But it made the show profitable for us. Like, if they hadn't done that, it would have been harder for us to make money. Like, because that's a... I mean, I think it cost us, like, $40 to mail three packages from Los Angeles to New York. And it cost us 
$280 to mail packages from the U.S. to Vancouver. Right. Like, that's yeah. crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they, the people at the Beguiling were fucking saints. They were so, so nice. And like at the end of the show, they changed all our money back into U.S. currency and wrote us a check for it. And like, that's amazing. It was amazing. Like, <laughs> whoever the fuck puts that show on, you're a goddamn saint. I think his name is James, the owner of the Beguiling, maybe? Uh, I don't I'm know. Blanking, but... I don't know his name either. I met him at the show. He was very nice in passing. And I was like, oh, shake your hand. Oh, cool. Thanks. All right. And this is I, great. I think that he's the guy that I always go see at Comic-Con because he brings a bunch of original art. Mm-hmm. I think that's the same yep. guy. Yeah. Uh, glasses, kind of yeah. tall, blonde, thin. Uh, I don't remember him being blonde. Whatever. Well, whatever. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was super, super nice. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I'm a little paranoid about that for the end of the year, but we'll fucking see what happens. <laughs> it's an all, it's an all an adventure, Malachi. It's all an adventure. Um, I feel like I didn't ask you enough questions. I feel like there's so many other. It's the risk of doing a podcast with a friend. It really is. It's just like you and me shooting the shit. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, where on the interwebs can the people find you? Uh, MattandMalachi.com is where we have kind of like that's where you can see previews of ancestor and all kinds of like extra comics and stuff like that but at malachi ward is where i am on you know twitter and instagram and all that kind of stuff um thank you for doing this bullshit with me i appreciate it i suppose i should promote myself too uh, my, <laughs> my website is heydavebaker.com and you can find me on Instagram at xdavebaker x. I don't know, fuck that up. Can't say my own name. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm glad that uh, we got to hang out. And I'm assuming as soon as this stops recording, we're going to talk about Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. This is just been, this has been like, a, a, a yeah. massive preamble to us having a Star Trek yeah, conversation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for doing this, my friend. Thank you. Comic at theactionhospital.com. Find me on Instagram at xDaveBakerX. Same on Twitter. And uh, come find me on the Facebooks. Just Dave Baker. Uh, if you'd like to find the show, it's at meltcomics.com. Uh, and it's obviously named, it's pronounced Zine. <laughs>